We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Monday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. We are live right now on the Field of 68, but this is Johnny Davis's world. He went for 37 points, 14 boards, three blocks, two assists, and two steals tonight in Mackey Arena as number 23 Wisconsin took down number three Purdue. To break it down with me, I have the one and only Randolph Childress, the Wake Forest legend, and uh, Carter Elliott, who is... According to him, a Trevion Williams with Jameson flowing through his veins. Uh, what's going on, fellas? How we doing? How's your night? I can't complain. I need to hear about Carter's night. I'm doing all right. I'm coming off a nice flirting with a triple-double in my men's league game. And I'm also one for one on all my New Year's resolutions uh, for this year. So off to a good start. Can't complain. What, what are those? Uh, what are, you, you can't just tee up those right. New Year's resolutions and not tell us what they are. Uh, I'm working out before work in the morning and I'm reading at least 10 pages of a book a day. Wow. How long do you think that'll last, RC? Thursday. I'll tell you right now, it's last Thursday. I'm going to give him a week. So <laughs> I'm going to give you a week. I'll be like, yeah, I'll be over with about a week. See, the, the, the reading the book thing, I think, is, is doable. That's 10 pages is nothing, man. But waking up every morning to work out before work, that's not me. Just got to challenge myself somehow, some way. You got to do that tomorrow after after dark. That'll be tough. Don't remind me. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, this this Wisconsin performance. Johnny Davis put together one of the, uh, I think, the most impressive individual performances that we're going to see this season, one of the most impressive in a while. He had 35 points and 10 boards on the road in a win over a top-five team. No one has done that since Gravis Vasquez did it back in 2009. Randolph, what do you make of Johnny Davis in this performance tonight? I thought it was the best we've seen this year. 37 and 14 from a guard, um, number three ranked team in the country on the road. I mean, that that's, that's, he was dominant today. And it's not like it was a bunch of guys helping him. I mean, he, he single-handedly put Wisconsin on his back tonight. And I, I honestly think it was a player of the year caliber performance. Now we'll get into later whether he, you know, he can get it or not, but if he carries them to the top, two or three finish in the league, I think you'd have to give him a strong consideration for it. Cause that, that's the type of performance it's going to take for poor Wisconsin to sustain it. Yeah. Carter, you think Wisconsin's good enough to, to make a run like that in the big 10? To be honest, I think they are just based purely off what Johnny Davis is doing right now. I mean, for the fact, for starters coming into this game, Purdue knew what Wisconsin is. It's Johnny Davis. He makes that team go right. not only on offense, but on both ends of the floor. And he was doing that tonight. He was all over the glass. He was getting in passing lanes. 
He was getting steals, making plays. Whenever they needed a shot to stop those little mini Purdue runs, he was there to hit the big shot. I mean, that was just pure brilliance of what, you know, a player of the year type candidate, Big Ten player of the year, national player of the year type candidate will put up. And it was a statement game by him, and it was impressive to watch. Yeah, RC, I think what was really impressive to me was kind of the contrast between him and Jaden Ivey. Those are the two guys in that game that we're looking at as, you know, the next level NBA prospects, potential lottery picks. And the pace at which Johnny Davis plays, the poise he has, he never gets sped up. He, he gets where he wants to go, and he's able to elevate and hit shots when he gets there. Whereas you look at Jaden Ivey, and this dude is 100 miles an hour all the time, which works really well in a lot of situations, but there are moments where you kind of wish that he had uh, the poise and specific possessions that, that a guy like a Johnny Davis does. If they plan on winning a national championship, he's going to have to adapt some playmaking ability. You know, they're going to need him. Purdue's going to need Jay Ivey to, to play more, you know, as a playmaker at times to do some facilitating. I, I'll tell you what I was shocked with. I was waiting for him at one point in the game to say, I got Johnny Davis, right? Like, you know, if this is my gym. I'm at home. It's a big game to watch. You know, I, I wanted him to take, I would have loved for him to take more of a hands-on approach and say, hey, you know what? You know, I got I got Johnny Davis. He's not scoring 37 or he's not dominating this game. And I was a little disappointed in that. He'll I'm sure he'll get another shot. He'll respond. I'm not down on him. I think we all know how, how talented Jaden Ivey is. But considering you knew coming into this game that that was the guy, I thought he would take more of a of a of a, of a hands on approach like, hey, he's not doing this in my building. And, and he didn't tonight. Yeah, the, I, the only thing I would say is that he was in foul trouble. I think he had two in, like, the first six. He did early. He did early. And then picked up his third early in the second half. But you're, you're right. Like, there comes a certain point when you have to say, no, that like that's not happening here. You're not doing because that. Because even late in the game, you know, I, I get it early. But late in the game, Johnny Davis took over the game. Like, he, he stuck the daggers in. Yeah, yeah. He took the game over. So, I mean, I get he was in foul trouble but when it when it mattered. And I get at times, Purdue, you may not want him on him for foul trouble. But the last five minutes of the game, you had three. You got to step up, and you got to you got to take that matchup on. Yeah, Carter, yeah I, remember, I, I remember in the North Carolina game. I think it was the North Carolina game. Might have been the Villanova game where Jaden Ivey down the stretch, five minutes left. They're down in that game. He's getting the and ones. He's looking to the crowd. He's like, "This is my shit. Like this is my right, time right. to shine." And he's letting everybody know. And you were kind of just waiting for that moment in this game. You know, like, like you know, like RC said, there was foul trouble. There was things like that. But mentally, you know, Jaden Ivey strikes me as a guy who, if I'm just looking at it from the outside looking in, he's a big-time player. He likes to make big-time plays. He's an alpha. He wants to shine. He wants everything, you know, to kind of, you know, make him look like he is the big-time player that he is. So in that moment, there's an opportunity for you to step up. And you let somebody else come into your arena and show you up. Ted, I mean, it wasn't just you and you versus him, but, you know, he showed him up tonight and he was the best player on the floor. So, uh, you know, it's, it's things like that that you want to see out of Jay Nivey down the stretch. But obviously, foul trouble did hamper him in this game. Yeah, I, I want to ask both of you guys this. And we're going to get into the National Player of the Year discussion and the Big Ten Player of the Year discussion in a little bit. In all of college basketball, though, I want to know, is there anybody right now that you would rather have over Johnny Davis in the last three minutes of a game where you really need a bucket. When you're RC, you, you coach for a long time. When you, if you, if you were calling a play right now, you needed a bucket in the last like 30 seconds of a game, how many guys would you want on your roster? Would you want with the ball in their hands over Johnny Davis right now? Cause I don't think that there's very many. I can't think of any right now. I mean, he doesn't get sped up uh, his motor, his size, his ability to get his shot off. 
I, I don't know who I'd want right now as a guard that I want to, to close out a game. I mean, he wants it. I mean, today on the road, I mean, that's a big game. You know, we don't want to be prisoners in a moment. But, man, he, he stepped up tonight and, and just kind of said, look, I'm, we're here. Like, and I was, you just got to be impressed with that. I mean, just, just, he, he was the best player on the floor tonight. I will willingly be a prisoner of the moment and say that Johnny Davis is the guy that you want at the end of the game. He's, he's the closer in college basketball this yeah. year. We talked about it with IL last year, Carter. I think it's Johnny mm-hmm. Davis this year. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, I'll be your cellmate in that prison of the moment because like that, that is what it is. I mean, this was on the big stage. Everyone was talking about this, and he showed up tonight. I think if I had to pick one other person, though, I'd take Benedict from Arizona just because I like the way he scores as well and handle things. But that's the thing about Johnny Davis is he was it wasn't just three-pointers tonight. He was in the post, mid-range, at the basket, attacking the rim, attacking the offensive glass. Defensive last 14 boards, you know, out of a, a guard, basically. I mean, it was just an all-around impressive performance. I mean, I don't think you could take anybody over Johnny Davis right now at the end of the game. And, but I, one thing I will say I think is going to happen to him again is that people's going to go into games now, and it's just not going to let them get it. They're going to say someone else has to beat us. And that's what scares me about Wisconsin, is that you're going to go in and scheme and say, look, we may lose, but we can't let Johnny Davis beat us. Yeah, so we were able to catch up with Johnny Davis on the uh, Wisconsin team flight, which looked like it was pretty empty. He's going to have some space to kind of stretch out, maybe get a nap. He (laughs) earned that nap. He's going to get on the flight home. So uh, our producer, Greg Waddell, is going to tee up that interview with Johnny Davis. All right, now let me welcome on to the field of 68 after dark, Johnny Davis, who was sitting there on the team playing after putting up 37 points and 14 rebounds at Purdue. Johnny, congratulations, man. How are you feeling after that game? Uh, very relieved. You know, it's not, it's not easy going in and beating the top three team in the country at their place. So I'd say most of all, I'm just really relieved that we got the W. When did you realize that you were, you were in, in something of a zone tonight? I remember I got a text midway through the second half that just said, it's a Johnny Davis game tonight. So wh- when was the moment that you realized, okay, I got to go? Mm, I'd probably say as soon as I came out uh, and stepped on the floor in the second half. Um, you know, I, our offensive production in the first half was was all right, but I knew we were going to need a little more because Drew was going to amp up the pressure defensively. And I just came out and got to my spots. I, I thought your defensive performance in the first uh, first half was really, really impressive. You know, that that's the number one – offense in the country you guys held them 24 points you really had to go in defensively in the first half what what was it about your game plan that worked against Purdue um you know game plan was you know when Jay Navi gets the ball and he's coming down in transition build a wall so he's not able to get into the lane and make the plays that he does close out to Stefanovic and their point guard Thompson don't let them get any open looks um you know our bigs did the best they could on the inside I thought they did a really good job on Trevion but you know, it's difficult guarding a guy who's like seven five, seven six down low. Yeah, have you ever played against a guy that's that big? Uh, I've played against him a couple of times before, but no, I don't. Actually, yes, I think um, Victor Wembanyama from France, or oh, I, I can't even pronounce his last name, but from France, he's the only guy I've ever seen taller than him. 
one of the things that we keep hearing about on a lot of these broadcasts is the impact that playing in those U19 events over the summer have for you guys. Is, is there any merit to that? Did that, did that kind of help you figure things out, gain some confidence, put some stuff together heading into this season? Uh, yes, absolutely it did. Um, you know, I went, went down there, tried out with about, I don't know, 29, 30 um, of the best, best players in the country. And uh, I competed with them and I made the team and it just showed me that, you know, I, I belong there. Right. It, it, does it feel like you're you're better? I mean, a lot of people are kind of waking up and, and taking notice to to who you are right now. Do, do you feel that? Do you feel more attention on you this season? I don't really pay too much um, attention to the attention that I get in the season. You know, I'm just coming out with my guys every night and you know trying to get the W. All right. Let, let me just ask you then about the the threes that Brad Davidson hit down the stretch. There were a couple of real uh, big shots. I think he hit one, and then you hit one. Uh, two possessions later that really were daggers. Well, what's what's better? What's a better shot for you? When you hit a three at home and the crowd goes nuts or when you hit that big three on the road and everybody just goes completely silent? That's, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably say, you know, when you're away and you hit the big three and the whole stadium just goes quiet for, you know, that brief moment because, you know, you kind of just kind of just suck the life out of them with the shot that you just hit. Right. All right. This is the last one I got for you. Uh, we hear on all of these broadcasts over and over again how you were a, a very good high school quarterback. If you could have gone and played in college, do you think that you would be playing right now in the uh, the national title game? Is that where you would be? If I was playing quarterback, um, I mean, I, I would hope to envision myself there, but. Um, Come on, you, can say, you, just had, you just had 37 and 14 in Mackey. You can say it. You can say it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, football, I was always consider, considering playing in college, but once my brother suffered um, some season-ending injuries, my parents kind of, you know, persuaded us to go one way more than the other. Um, I honestly think I was with basketball all the way, though. But, now, nah, if I was playing football, I'd, I'd probably be up there in the Heisman conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's the way you got to say it, man. Uh, mm -hmm. Listen, Johnny, congratulations on the win. Uh, enjoy this flight home. It looks like those private flights are kind of empty. Maybe you get some leg room and uh, you can be able to spread out, get some space, maybe take a nap. You earned this one, man. So oh, thank yeah, you for joining us. Yep, no problem. Thank you. All right, so we've talked quite a bit about Johnny Davis tonight. Uh, Brad Davidson, I mentioned him uh, in the interview with Johnny. He had 15 points, three boards, three assists, hit a couple of big threes down the stretch. He's averaging 14 points this season. Those are really the two guys for Wisconsin. So, RC, I'm going to go to you first on this card. I want you on this, too. Does Wisconsin need a third guy if they really want to be able to compete in the Big Ten? You can't rely on Johnny Davis getting your 37 every single night. They're going to have to. And the question is, where does it come from? You know, if, if you know, if the tempo, particularly if the teams are going to press them and force tempo, uh, you know, I mean, you can't rely on him scoring 37. I know they put up 74 tonight. That's probably the max of where they want to go as far as the pace of the game. I mean, and I don't know where the points are going to come from. I mean, they're going to have the bodies to be able to go against the bigs in this league, against Kofi and against, you know, Hunter Dickinson and those other guys and all the bigs in the league. I just don't know where the scoring is going to come from. I mean, yeah. where? I mean, who, who's going to do it? I mean, where's it going to come from? I, I really don't know. 
Yeah, honestly, I, I was thinking about it because that was one of the most surprising things about the game tonight is, you know, Coach Painter is such a great coach. And I just right. didn't expect him to let one player come in and light him up and beat him like that. Uh, it just didn't, you know, it does, that's something that happens to teams that I don't consider good. So it was surprising to see from Purdue. But I don't really know who that third guy could be. I mean, right. people say it could be Chucky, but he just strikes me as more as just a defensive guy. But if he could pitch in like 10 points, something now, and then right now he doesn't even look to shoot, barely shoots at all. But eventually they're going to have to have some guy step up. I know Lauren Bowman, he's actually a Michigan guy, so I saw him play in high school a little bit. He's a really good scorer. He sat out last season with some issues, but I know he could really fill it up in high school, but they got to find somebody uh, because I know a lot of coaches saw that game today and they're like, we're not going to let Johnny Davis beat us. I could, I would not be surprised if you see like some boxing one type situations and just do not let him catch the ball. Yeah, I, I want it to be Tyler Wall, but you know Tyler Wall has to actually make a three this season for right. him to be considered. Like the number, that, he's over sixteen on the year. Is right that now. a confidence thing with him, or is it just he's just shooting them because people are down? I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know quite yet. Is he just getting off to a slow start? But I mean, with, with a guy call. like Johnny Davis out there getting, you know, scoring as much and drawing the attention, he's getting looks. Yeah, I think he he shot. I mean, look, his career heading into the season, he was shooting twenty five percent from three. Yeah, so like. Zero percent is a lot worse than twenty five percent, Carter. I know that's tough math for you, but it is. I promise you don't have to calculate <laughs> out. But um, yeah, it's he's not a, a great shooter. I want him to be the guy though. But um, let, let's let's pivot a little bit to Purdue because you said something interesting there, Carter. Um, you would have expected Purdue to find a way to get the stops that they needed to get. Uh, I think if you're going to make an argument on why this Purdue team cannot win a national title, it's because of the issues that they have on the defensive end of the floor right now. After that performance, they are ranked number 70 on Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency metric. That's not going to be good enough. They, they're not quite what Iowa was last season, but they're giving off some slight Iowa uh, Hawkeyes 2020-2021 uh, vibes to me. So how, how can they get better defensively? Because right now, that's, that's their biggest issue. Am I right, Carter? Yeah, it, it, and it's kind of surprising because I think that they should be a lot better with the type of athletes that they have on the floor. Now, you have guys like Edie and Travion, not necessarily, you know, guys you look to like kind of switch on defense, but look, they can clog up space in the middle. Jaden Ivey is an unbelievable athlete. I think he has a whole nother level he can tap into defensively with the wingspan he has and the athleticism, the intensity he has. Guys like Hunter Thompson, they get up in you. I think they should be better defensively. It's kind of a little perplexing that they're not better defensively, which is why I said before, like it was a very surprising to see a Matt Painter coach team with the kind of defensive ability that they can have come out there and put a performance up like this against a team in Wisconsin who, you know, at the end of the day, they're Johnny Davis. And then you get something else from the other guys, but they are by no means an offensive powerhouse. So, you know, you let them come into your house and put up 70 something point high seventies and points. It's not, it's, you know, not a good sign moving forward. I thought we saw the writing on the wall with the NC State game. I mean, I thought that's what NC State did. They just had better athletes, particularly on the perimeter. I mean, they're big, but one of the issues they're going to have with that, too, is that between you're going to either play Williams or you're going to play Zach. You know, Travion, one of those guys you're going to have to – you can't play them together. So of of your three best players, you're going to have to – two of them, they just kind of flip-flop. You know, you're going to have one or the other. So unless they plan on going zone, which they're not going to do much of, um, and even still, I, I don't know how you're going to get athletic, you know, more athletic during the course of the year when two of your best players are your bigs and, and they, they just play with, they, they, they kind of 
sub each other in and out. They're not playing with together on the floor. So I, I don't know how you get better with that. I mean, you're going to hedge ball screens. You're not going mean, to you're going to play in drops. You're not going to hedge. You can switch a little bit more with Williams on the floor. But again, if they're going to take a step, again, you know, Jay and Ivy can't allow another guard to go for 37 against them with his with his athletic ability. Yeah, there has to be some some pride there, right? That says I'm going to win this matchup one on one. You could be as right. good of an athlete as you want to be. Uh, if you're if you don't have that, if you don't want to be the guy that gets to stop every right. single possession, that's something that's not going to work. But I, I think the other issue that they have is their their point guard play is just not like it's not. I, I don't want to hammer these guys too hard, but it, it's not the level that you would want it to be. Um, the issue we kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember if we said it on air or not, but like Jaden Ivy is a guy that just wants to go right? right. There's no he doesn't really stop and process what he's looking at. He's he's going to get the ball and he's going to try to go to the rim and he's going to try to go make a play, which is great when you're getting up and down a transition and he could kind of play in the open floor. When you get into the half court, you can't really do that. You kind of have to have a sense of what you're driving into, where this offense is going to be in front of you. Uh, there was one play that sticks out in my mind. He ran off that uh, that that double screen on the baseline, gets the ball in the corner, drives uh, drives to the baseline again, and tries to throw a pass to Zach Eady, but those are like 90 miles an hour with Zach Eady about three feet away from him, and it almost hit the kid in the face. And like you can't you can't do that if you're Jaden Ivey. You have to have a better feel for what is happening in that moment. And to me, that's the biggest issue when when things kind of uh, get to a possession where um, they can't get something out of their offense who who's going to step up and make that play and Jaden Ivey has to be that guy and Carter to date he hasn't really done that as consistently as we would like yeah like like you said you love a player who at you know at all times is playing extremely hard and going full speed but that's not always what you need to do especially down the stretch of the ball game it's not all just go 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 head down and Purdue would really benefit just I'm not we're not even asking for just like some unbelievable point guard play just something steady I can't really point to what Purdue's point guards actually, you know, like do very well. They do like little things here and there, but they don't really do one thing particularly well. And it'd be it'd be great if you could just throw it to them and they could be a guy who could slow the offense down, get things in order. Because Jay Nivey, like you said, is always just 100 miles an hour all the time. But the only thing they can do to slow their offense down is throw it in the post. So basically, you slow Jay Nivey down, they're just going to throw it in the post. There's no other type of offense outside of that. And also, you have a dynamic guard like Jay Nivey, and you can't trust him with the ball down the stretch because he's going too fast, and that hurts him. Yeah, and and look, they get a lot of stuff out of the the sets that they run, but it's also the kind of thing where if you're if you're switching, and and we've seen this with with teams in the past, where if you're switching, you can kind of take them out of. Uh, out of their sets and, and take them out of what they can scheme and the shots that they're able to create out of just running offense RC, then you kind of run into a little bit of an issue where you don't have someone that you can just kind of give it to and say, go make a play. But I think that's when Trey, you know, when Travian gets, gets going because he's the guy that punishes the mismatch, right? So when you start switching, I think tonight we saw Zach playing and he was going well, he played, he had a double, double tonight, he had it going, but Williams would be the guy that punishes the switches. So then when you got a guard on him, he's a really good passer. So he's passing it out of the double teams, and they're looking for that. So I think that's the weapon, and that's what they—that's how they're going to attack the teams to switch on. I mean, he can be a matchup nightmare. I, I'll come to the defense of their point guard play, though. I, I think it's hard for the point guards to be so actively involved because this team plays inside out. And we just talked about Jake Nivey not being necessarily a great passer, and, and it can be a little bit out of control. I think some of the, some of Uber Thompson and those guys coming in, that's their job, just to slow down, get us in the offense. 
don't turn it over because they can ill afford to get into turnovers and get into an up and down game because that's not their strength. Now, you would want them maybe to be a little bit aggressive, pushing it in transition, but they don't have it. I think that's what they're doing. They're not they're not getting enough volume and usage to be really effective in his offense. I think their job is to say, hey, throw the ball inside to Williams. Throw it, you know, Ivy, you come off, you go make a play. You just kind of play off those guys. And that's hard to do. Yeah, and, and to your point, um, uh, if if Wisconsin is able to – or I'm sorry, if Purdue is able to slow down Johnny Davis, then their offense doesn't matter in this game. They right. did everything else they needed to do defensively except, you know, stop the guy that went for 37 and had, what, like 25 uh, in the second half. All right, I want to pivot a little bit because we just watched uh, Iowa knock off Maryland. They did not cover Greg, which is uh, unfortunate for um, some of us. Thanks, Bet Rivers. I gave some of my money back to you tonight. Uh, but Keegan Murray. He went for 35 points, eight boards, three blocks, five for six from three. Uh, on my podcast, the DTF podcast today with uh, John Fanta and Terrence Oglesby, we talked about our midseason All-Americans, and it was very difficult to kind of limit it to just three guys on the first team from the Big Ten between Johnny and E.J. Liddell and Jaden Ivey and uh, Zach Eady and Trevion and Keegan and Kofi Coburn. There's, there's Alfonso Plummer. There are a lot of Really, really good players in this Big Ten. So, RC, I'm going to you first on this one. If you're, is Johnny Davis the guy? If you're building a team in the Big Ten right now, is Johnny Davis the guy? He is for me. I mean, I struggle with him, and I think it's it's close between he and EJ Liddell. I think those two guys have been the best two players in the league. But if I'm starting a team, I'm going to go. I, I think from the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Johnny Davis. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I'm going Johnny Davis as well. Three-level score, a guy who right. gets you stops on defense. I mean, he's a very complete player. I mean, I know NBA scouts got to be watching this, like, when you draft this guy, because I think he's a lottery pick at this point. He's shown that you're drafting a guy who's complete at all three levels of the game, scoring-wise, and, you know, you're getting somebody defensively who's going to compete and make plays on that end. Like, that's a plug-and-play lottery pick guy right now. So, and he's showing that. So I think he's big time player of the year. And that's not just based off, you know, today's game. He's shown that all year. It's it's crazy when you say that. And, and I'm not disagreeing with either of you guys, but it's crazy when you say that. And the Big Ten has a guy on a top 20 team that is the fourth best scorer in the country and the third best rebounder in the country in Kofi Coburn. He's not a guy that we're even really considering for uh, player of the year or even Big Ten player of the year. And neither is Keegan Murray, who just had 35 and eight boards tonight. On the season, he is leading the country in scoring. He's averaging, uh, before the 35 he had tonight, he was averaging 23.7 points, shooting almost 60% from the floor, over 80% from the free throw line with 8.2 boards, 2.0 blocks, and 1.6 steals. It's the, the amount of talent in that conference is uh, just, it's it's ridiculous. I I, I can't think of a... Um, a league that had this much high-level talent and this many star players in it as as, as the Big Ten does. you got to give those guys credit. I mean, we talk about even Kofi. He should get more credit, you know, with the injuries, with the guards in the backcourt that he's had to deal with, with Cuba being allowed out. I mean, he is he's just been a force, and he's carried those guys to an early, what, nine and three record. I mean, they've been he's been outstanding, so you have to give him credit. No definite, you know, to EJ. You know, the big fella. So and then Liddell, I mean, he's been really solid for Ohio State with not a lot of help, you know, a lot of consistent guys. His numbers have been dominant. So we're seeing a lot of guys, just like we talked about Johnny Davis, just a lot of guys in this league that are stepping up and carrying their teams when they need to. With guys being out, so many injuries or whatever the case may be, more so in the Big Ten than any other league. 
Yeah, I think one thing, though, the one thing that I do knock with Kofi, because I think the stats are there this year, but we've been talking this whole time about like these statement games and the big games where they kind of show that. For me, when I look back on the chances that, you know, Kofi's had to make his statement games, I think he struggled against Coloco in Arizona a little bit. Uh, Frazier and Plummer played extremely well in the game. I think he struggled a little bit in that game with the length at the rim. Uh, so it's just you know, I don't think Kofi's had that statement game yet uh, with Curbelo out against, you know, some high level competition. But I mean, you can say the same thing with Keegan Murray. He hasn't necessarily played the hardest schedule, but, you know, at the same time, he's still putting up 30 points a game and he just scored 35 on Maryland. So a lot of town in the Big Ten, but the, the statement games matter. You know, Johnny Davis had a big game against Houston, too, and he almost kind of single handedly beat them, too. So, I mean, he's he's had himself some statement. You know games. We, we need a phrase for that. Because football's got Heisman moments, right? Mm. College yeah. basketball needs like what? What do we have for a Heisman? Well, you can't say wooden moments because there's the 17 different <laughs> Player of the Year awards. What do we, we need? Naismith moment. Have called it a Naismith moment. Naismith moment, but it's the wooden one is the one everyone moment. talks about. Yeah, that's true. yeah. We we need something. We got to come up with this, Carter. You're creative. I need you to think about this. Uh, I'm actually not creative. I literally feed off of my co-host Greg's creativity <laughs> and I steal it for myself and you know just use it. I'm not really creative like that. Hey. That was my move, too. <laughs> it's always the best. It's the way to go. No shame in the game. All right. Uh, so do we do we all agree right now that Johnny Davis is probably the, the national player of the year front runner? Are we are we there? I'm, I'm going to say he's up there. I'm still going with Wendell Moore. But I, I got I got I mean, after tonight's performance, I, I mean, I, I can't argue, but I, I still have Wendell Moore. He's eight. Let's put it like this. He is it's one in one. A. It's one in one A with me. All right, so I got I got some facts. I've been teasing this that I got some facts for you guys for a while. Here it is. So since 2005, right, the last 16 players that have won the AP National Player of the Year award, which is pretty much like the consensus National Player of the Year award, right? Uh, 12 of them have been on a team that was either a number one or a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Obi Toppin, I'm calling a number two seed because they would have been. I think they were. Uh, either a one or a two seed in all of the projections before the the season was canceled. So I'm giving Obi Toppin that one. Um, The ones that weren't was in 2014, Doug McDermott on Creighton was a three seed, averaged like 27 points a game. In 2011, Jimmer Fredette at BYU was a three seed, averaged like 30 points a game. In 2007, Kevin Durant was a four seed for Texas, averaged 25 and 12 or something ridiculous and the uh, in in um, the Big Twelve as as a one and done. Uh, the only other guy on that list is Trey Burke, who averaged something like nineteen and six on a team that ended up as a four seed that was a top five team for much of the season that made it to the national title game. So that's the level that you need to be the, the level of team you need to be on to win a national Player of the Year award, according to everything that we've seen in the one and done era. So my question to you guys is. Is Wisconsin on a, a team that is good enough for Johnny Davis to kind of hit that level of precedence? I don't think so, because I think that there's still a lot of good teams to play in this Big Ten tournament. I'm mean, sorry, not in the Big Ten schedule. Like, this was great, but, you know, Wisconsin still is one and one in the Big Ten. You know, they've already they lost pretty pretty bad to Ohio State. So there's going to be a lot of games that they play. I don't know if he's necessarily going to reach the, you know, the the high success of those guys stat wise, but also I don't know if this team is going to reach that point, especially with the focus that's going to be on him moving forward. So I don't really see him or want to throw his name yet 
and I don't think it could reach the point of those players that you just named. Yeah, and for the record, according to Bracket Matrix right now, um, Wisconsin's projected as something of a, a six seed. So that's kind of where they are right now. RC, what do you think? I think until they get a consistent third score, I, I think it's going to be tough for them. You know, I think it puts too much pressure on them. I mean, he had, a, like I said, an outstanding game tonight. I just don't know where the third score and the consistent base is going to come from because if I'm coming against him next, I, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I'm scheming it. I'm not going to allow him to beat us if he, if he, you know, I'm picking him up. I'm denying. I mean, I'm letting other. Now again, Wisconsin does have other guys that can make shots, so he's going to be able to pass the ball to other guys that can shoot the ball. They're going to have to step up. But from a consistent scoring standpoint, I don't see the third guy, and I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, that's that's kind of where. I'm at with it too. I think Johnny Davis is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now, but there's so many good players. Like go, go through people listening right now, go through and do it yourself. Do this exercise, go try to put together an AP all American first team, come up with five guys and see how difficult it is to whittle that list down. When I did it, there were 13 guys on my list, right? There were 13 names that I was like, these, these have to be somewhere in the top 10. All of them deserve consideration for uh for that first team so it's hard to do now i want to ask you guys this I, I got more facts i got more info it's it's a little bit of trivia for you who was the last player that was not on a team that finished as a top four seed to win the ap player of the year award either you guys got it you should be able to know it was in 2005 no plays played in the mountain west Oh, then hell no. <laughs> I think it, I think it was. He was I don't the, know about that one. He was the number one pick in the draft that year. Wow. His, uh, his, his head coach was Rick Majerus. He's a seven-footer from Australia that won national – or won uh, NBA Andrew Bogut. Yeah, Andrew Bogut was the last guy. He was the number one pick. The last guy that wasn't the top four seed – uh, wasn't on a top four seed to win the national player of the year award was before the end uh, the, the one and done era um, had begun uh, and was the number one pick. So that's kind of, that's, that's the precedence. I'm not saying that Johnny Davis can't get it done, but that's, that's the precedence that has been set. That, that mountain, guys. that mountain West threw me off because Utah's in the pack. It definitely threw me off. I yeah. Guess. I knew, I knew that would, I knew that would, that would get you. I knew okay. that would get you guys. So um, speaking of the pack 12, that's a perfect segue. Look at that Carter coming through for me. Uh, Arizona. We had, we had Arizona back in action tonight. Um, they just they didn't really want to play defense until the second half, but once they kind of turned it on, uh, they ran away from Washington. They ended up winning by 16. Benedict Matherin had uh 27 points. Dalen Terry came about as close to a triple double as you can get without getting. I think he had 13, 11, and nine uh tonight. Where do you where do you guys stand on this team? Um, it's it's hard to know, it's hard to know what the other uh contenders in the Pac 12 are because UCLA and USC have both been on a pause for. Uh, what feels like the entire season, right? Um, but but where do you where do you, RC where do you stand on on this Arizona team? What they are this season and what they could be moving forward. I mean, we talked about that Tennessee game. I thought they had a hell of an impression against that. They got some tough calls and a lot of bad whistles going against them. But they, I, I like them. They got some size. They got some I mean, Benedict is is the real deal. I mean, he's he's a guy that can I think can enter into this conversation that we're talking about as far as Player of the Year. I mean, he's putting up numbers. Uh, they're going to have to defend a little better, I mean, than they have on a consistent basis. But they compete. I mean, they have what you want. I mean, uh, um, Coloco has is, is, is been a force inside defensively. 
and uh, they got they got a scoring. They got enough guys that can score the basketball, so they're well coached. I mean, they, you know, the cover wasn't bare. We talked about that. We teased Sean about that, but I mean, I, I like the team. I think they got a chance to go on, you know, making a deep run. They got some some depth with them. I we'll see. I mean, we just don't know what the Pac-10 is going to present. What options is going to be? You know, what, what what threats are there besides USC and UCLA? We know UCLA is legit, but outside of that, we don't know who else they're going to play. Hey, Carter, did you hear that Pac-10 reference in there? I did hear that. <laughs> I, was gonna, I, I know it was going to be you going to say it or me, but I did hear the Pac-10 reference. No, but with, with this Arizona team, like, it's, you know, we talked about them all year. It's been impressive. I mean, like RC said, even in that Tennessee game, I thought it was impressive even, you know, in a loss because the way they competed, they were down, they were on the road, tough calls going their way. It was still impressive as a team. Tommy Lloyd, I mean, I think should be in every conversation for coach of the year right now. I think how he has that team playing is pretty impressive, especially, you know, just having them all play together. And they're just so fun and they compete every single night. But I will say just because UCLA is on pause doesn't mean you should forget about the Bruins. The Bruins are still a really good team. They fall into that area of teams that are really good. Like people mentioned the Dukes. They were mentioned in Purdue. It's probably not going to do it as much. Duke, Gonzaga, but they, UCLA falls into that category of teams that are really good that get kind of overlooked. Like people don't mention Kansas as much as I think they should. And I don't think they mention UCLA as much as I think they should. This is a team that's well, returning. They haven't final played. Four run. Like it's, how, how yeah, it's, it's been forever. Played. They don't play. I'm just, I'm just, what are they? Okay, so I, I because they I had COVID, we're holding it against them. They're still really good. No, you're right. But you got to see them play. Kansas. They got to get we, back on the court. And we all record, always talk about it. Hold on, real quick, RC, for the record. Uh, breaking news coming from Matt Norlander: UCLA's game Wednesday against Arizona State is off because Arizona State has COVID, which is just we're never going to see UCLA play again. God damn! They got to enter squad. Stay out of the Tempe right streets. We want to see them hoop. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who they're gonna. I mean, how long has it been? Has it been about two, three weeks with those guys? I think it's been longer. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out right now. The last game that they played, uh, December 11th against Marquette. So, so you so right now so right now you both are picking Arizona to win Pac-12. I honestly I I think that I probably would simply because we've seen what happens with teams that come off of COVID pauses at the start. Like it, it takes you a little while to kind of get your legs back and get into game shape. It's almost I don't want to say it's like restarting your season, but it's not like you're jumping back into it in, in midseason form. And Arizona right now is in midseason form. So I think that that is an advantage for three teams that are all, I think, are all right there. So that's why I would probably pick Arizona at this point. Uh, but it's all going to come down to what happens when they play. You know, like that we're probably looking at a situation where those three teams are going to be like 18 and two, 17 and three, 16 and four, depending on what they do in their head to heads. And can we just hope, please, if there's anyone from the Pac 12 listening, make sure we get all of those games made up. College yeah. basketball needs UCLA, Arizona. Again, I don't know how they do it though. Once we get into January and conference play starts, I mean, you get what one makeup game? Like, when did you make it up? Well, I mean, I mean, UCLA, UCLA, and Arizona. Like, how far is Arizona from Los Angeles? Right? Like, it's only like a two-hour drive. Just send the bus over there for one weekend. Can't cancel. Well, you, you talk about that particular no, game. No one wants yeah, to see a play I, Oregon I, State. Just someone said this to me before. I don't know. Well, how well I, we when we say makeup, we mean makeup. The Pac-12 games people want to see. You can you can yeah. keep the Oregon State games. <laughs> I, but the pro, I, someone said this to me. Uh, Ty Stetney said this to me years ago, and I and I don't know if this has changed. But they fly commercial. So are they still doing that? Some of so, some schools still are. Um, some schools are now flying uh, 
charters in the Pac-12, but that was part of the part of the issue that UCLA had uh, when they were looking to to hire coaches is that uh, they weren't they they weren't chartering, which is like it's UCLA. You know, like that. How are, how are you not chartering when you're UCLA? But, but I, I was blown away when he told me that. And, and and I talked to most of the people in the conference and he was like, no, we just fly commercial. We'll fly in, play the game. Everyone stays. Then you book up the flights. And I'm like, wow. And so I only say that to say, if that's the case now, that makes it even more difficult to reschedule the games. Yeah. rc has been spending that, uh, living that PJ life for too long. Man. He, can't, <laughs> he, can't, he can't slumber with us and coach anymore. I was going to say, you know, he, he, he has no spirit tickets in his, uh, in his Apple wallet, nothing like that. <laughs> nah, only, only the finest flights. Nah. <laughs> now I, I have a real question though, RC. So um, Tommy Lloyd gets in at Arizona and takes right. over the, uh, a, a new team, a new coaching staff, a, a brand new style of play. Like how, how difficult is that to do? To, to come in and get these guys that you didn't recruit, that right. you didn't bring to the program, that that probably don't really have too much of a relationship with you, right. to get them to buy in and start playing at this level this quick. I think the big thing for him is coming from Gonzaga, right? And, and, and it's been an elite program. So he's coming in with a level of credibility where these guys are like, all right, this guy's done it. Sometimes it's more difficult when it happens when you're a mid-major program or you're the, I call it flavor of the month coach, when you've done well at a lower level conference. And then you come up, the guys are like, all right, you know, some people will start saying, well, you haven't done it at this level. Well, he's coming from Gonzaga. So there was a level of success there that's been among the best programs in the last, you know, last four or five years. So I think coming through the door, he had a level of credibility with the recruiting and the players that they had at Gonzaga that kind of gave him the cachet to walk through the door and say, hey, you know, just let's try it this way, you know, and you get buy-in. And, and Arizona is a, a transfer destination as well. You know, with the portal opening up right now, I mean, that's not a bad place to transfer in. And so they're always going to be a place now that that if you're a top player in the country now, you're going to look at Arizona. Yeah. And you know yeah, what I else? Think, I, I, I think I was just going to say, I think another good part about it is, though, is also the style of play that he's kind of implementing. It makes it a little easier to buy in. You know what I'm saying? If he was coming there and trying to, you know, instill like a Virginia offense or something like that, then there might be a little backlash to it. But sometimes change is good. Like, you know what I'm saying? You get a little bit change, you get a little new offense, you get to do freedom. They're playing defense, they're getting on and running, they're competing, they're talking shit. That's a lot of fun, you know? So it makes it a little easier to buy into a concept like that. Yeah, they, they are fourth nationally in, in pace. They are uh, first nationally in, in offensive possession length. All they want to do is run, run, run. It's fun to play. And I'll tell you, you know what else really helps? Uh, they won their first game by 29. They won their second game by 54. They won their third game by 52. Uh, then they went and they beat Wichita State in overtime. Then they went and they beat Michigan. Uh, shout out to Greg Waddell by 18 points. So uh, when you have that success, you're playing a fun style. You have that success, and it's a guy that you know has won a lot of games. Like it, that makes it that makes the job a little bit easier for you to uh, to listen to. They're dangerous because he lets those guys play. He gives them confidence to shoot. I mean, if, I mean, take if we talked about this after the Tennessee game. They shoot like I did, actually, a little bit too much of confidence at times, and, and that's a great thing. And so those guys are always going to be in games because they're going to take shots that whether we think they're good or bad, they're going to take them anyway, and they're going to force the pace. But when they're making shots, they're going to be a tough out. I got to say, I am shocked that RC would like playing for a coach that let him shoot. <laughs> Everyone, everyone loves playing for a coach that lets them shoot. You got to shoot. With, hey, part of shooting, you know, coming from a shooter myself, is confidence. Now, I'm not a good shooter, 
but I'm confident as hell when I let it fly. Now it doesn't go in all the time, but out of my hand, I think it's going in. That's part of it. So that's, I mean, that's what you see with this Arizona team. And I know it's not tracked, but I guarantee you, if you go back and look at the film, this Arizona team leads the country in getting a bucket and letting the team know that they just got a bucket too. And that's just fun. I mean, Kirk Creasa, I love that dude. He's the best. Yeah, they got a they got a lot of guys that um that know that they're good. And I kind of I, I like it when guys and I, look, RC, we know we know you know uh you know what it's like to, <laughs> to let people know about that. I don't so. mind a little talking. You guys know that. I don't mind talking at all. It's more the barrier. <laughs> All right, I'm going to I'm going to put you guys on the spot with something right now. All right? I'm going to pretend that both of you are NBA GMs. You are uh picking, I don't know, like the the 7th pick in the draft. You have you need you need a big time wing. Jaden Ivey's on the board. Johnny Davis is on the board. Ben Matherin is on the board. Who are you taking? RC, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I I I I, I I think we got to go with the guy we just talked about, but go ahead. I'll let you go first. I'm taking Matherin personally. I think that that's who I would want on my team. I think he is to me a better three level scorer than Johnny Davis. I don't know if he's as good defensively, but that man can fill it up from everywhere on the court. And I think he's an alpha too. And he's a guy who can give it down a stretch, go get a bucket. I think that's why I'm picking on my team. And also he's shown like Johnny Davis, a great, you know, trajectory of improvement as well. So I think, out of those three right now, that's who I would take for my team. I, I I can't argue with it. I just think he has a little bit more dudes, you know, with him. And 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 I'm not knocking him. I wouldn't, like I said, I wouldn't be mad if you pick one at seven, I take the other one at eight. I'm just really impressed with everything that I've heard uh, about Johnny Davis, with the type of kid he is from an intangible standpoint, a tireless worker, young man's always in the gym. That's something that will matter to me if I'm if I'm drafting him. And I'm not saying, you know, we you know what else is it? Keegan, you know, Keegan isn't in either. I mean, he's having he's leading the nation in scoring and we're talking about him, but I think he would be the bottom guy of those three only because I think his lower percentage of shooting the ball. I think the other guys are just better three level scores than he is than Keegan right now. All right, we're gonna so I'll actually no, I'll give my answer too. I think I would probably take Jaden Ivey. Uh and the only reason I would do that is because in the draft, I kind of tend to lead towards taking the guys with the highest upside simply because I think, like, if Ben Matherin, what do we expect him to be, right? Probably, like, a, a, a good starter, high-level guy, 3 and D. That, that's probably what he he ends up being at the next level, right? A high-level role player. Um, I think it's easier to find a guy like that than it would be to find what Jaden Ivey could be if he hits. Even if it ends up being, like, a 15 – percent of the time outcome Jaden Ivey I think has a chance to be a star in the NBA and I don't know if Ben Matherin or Johnny Davis has that same ceiling and when it comes to the draft I think you just you shoot for the stars you try to go get yourself a Giannis even if it means sometimes you're going to get an Alec Pokashevsky right that's just kind of I, I agree with you but where you're picking is gonna matter I think that's the difference and you're saying like a lottery uh, and we just talked about it with Jaden. I mean, I, I think we talked about an athlete and, and everything like everyone else. It's just a situation you're talking about drafting these guys into. Uh, I, I just feel like of all the, of, the, of those three guys, I think we know what we're getting with Johnny more than we know with everyone else. And, and that's what I would draft. I just want to know what I'm getting. Uh, I, I think that Jaden Ivey's ceiling could be a little higher, 
But we're also talking about a young man right now that's probably more of a, a better athlete than he is a basketball player right now. And I'm and he's a heck of an athlete. And I'm not questioning his ability to play, you know, basketball. I think he's a heck of a talent. But I I, I would, you know, I think I would take uh, more of what I, 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 I my eyes tell me I see certain I'm certain about. Yeah. And, and for the record, I just want to get it out there before anybody comes at me about this. I love all three of those players. Right. I'm right. They're, they're <laughs> right. all awesome. Okay, they're all very, very good, and they're going to play in the NBA for a long time. And I'm really excited that we get to watch them uh, for another three months here before we send them off to the professional ranks. All right, we're going to turn this thing forward. We're going to talk a little bit about what we got uh, going on um, coming up. Well, I think specifically tomorrow night, but I want to start with uh, it's a chance for two teams in the SEC to kind of prove something. Um, I, I think we don't really know what Kentucky is at this point, and I think we don't really know what LSU is. Uh, at right. this point in the season, they are playing each other tomorrow. As of this very moment, that line at our partners over at Bet Rivers is LSU minus one. That total is, let me bring it back up, is 139.5. So I, I want to know um, not just kind of how you see this game playing out, but how important is this, Carter, for both of these teams? Because LSU ha- doesn't have a win over a team ranked in the top 50. Uh, we've seen Kentucky lose to Notre Dame. Their best wins are blowouts against teams that I don't think any of us really are all that like none of us are really all that impressed with North Carolina. I know that for a fact because we've talked about that before on the show. So <laughs> how much do these two teams have to prove in this game tomorrow night? Oh, they got to prove a lot. I mean, you just said it all right there. You go through these teams' resumes, and I still am still searching for an answer on how the hell Kentucky lost to Notre Dame. I would still love an answer if anyone out there has one. Please let me know. But both these teams need statement wins. Uh, We've seen this whole year with LSU, even in particular, we're seeing a Will Wade team that's buying in defensively. And yes, you heard that right. The connection is right. Will Wade's team right now is playing extremely well defensively. I can't believe it either. So this is a big statement game for these teams. And especially with Kentucky, because it's one of those teams coming into this season, they had so many new pieces that were coming into the team. And this is kind of the, you know, the level you want to see. Once you get to this point, once you get the SEC play, you want everything clicking. So you want the Sheblade playing well. You want Kellen Grady playing well. You want all these guys on your team, the, the Tie Ties, the Wheelers, everyone playing well as a team and coming together and buying in. So it's a statement for both these teams, and they really need it. Uh, so I am leaning Kentucky if you were going to ask that next, but I'd be interested to see what you guys got to say about it. I think all the guys you just talked about are playing better, though. I think uh, Kellen Grady is playing better. Wheeler's playing better. You know, we talked about him early on. One of the concerns about him was he always had a high turnover rate. If he cuts his turnovers down and stays, below, you know, at, at two, I'll give him two. If he keeps it two or below, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And I think Tata has to get Washington has to get going for those guys. Uh, I, I would lean more toward Kentucky right now than LSU. I think LSU is a good team. Like you said, they are defending. I'm a big fan of Gaines as well. I think he's playing well. Efton Reed's coming along, you know, Days and those guys. You know, he, he this is his team now, you know, from from losing Cam, you know, from last year, Cam Thomas. And so I, 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 I'm I'm interested to see how this game turns out. I, I can't believe that LSU is going to be favored in that. It must be. It has to be in Baton Rouge if that's the case. But I think Kentucky is going to come in. I, I, I expect Kentucky to come in and get it. I think they're going to get the game. Yeah, I, it, it's 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 tough for me I, to answer your question about um, about how Kentucky lost Carter. It's. They didn't Notre Dame didn't guard severe Wheeler. They basically no. just threw the guy like eight feet off of him. Uh, I think it was it was Blake in the paint. Yeah, Set him Blake in the paint. And, and so they they had that automatic help on Sheway, which made it difficult to kind of get the ball 
into him. And that's kind of what Kentucky has become this season. They, they basically play four round one. Now, for me, their ceiling, I said this today, I think their ceiling depends on Keon Brooks, right? Like at this point, we kind of know what Kellen Gray, he's shooting 50% from three right. for the record this season, which is not bad. Carter, that, that's 50% from three. Yeah, if I carry the one, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, so we know what Sheboy is. Ty Ty Washington has been good. I think he's getting better. I think he still has room to grow. I think that's where they take a jump, um, obviously. Severe Wheeler kind of is what he is. He's going to have his moments. There's going to be points where he struggles. To me, they need Keon Brooks to, like, be a guy, right, to be that kind of four-man that uh, we talk about as being a potential all-SEC kind of a guy. Shoot better than three for 14 from three. Make shots. Make it so that you don't have uh, three guys, basically. The way it is right now, Severe Wheeler's man, and Keon Brooks, man, can all sag off and, and do whatever they need to do in the paint on Sheway. So that's to me, that's where it kind of comes from with this Kentucky team. That's where they take that next step because they've been playing better. They're blowing people out now. They weren't doing that earlier this season. They're blowing people out. Yeah. I, what about, I'd be, Sharp, what about Sharp been rolling early? What about Sharp? You think he'll enroll early? I, I'm you know what? I'm curious your take on this, RC, because I if I'm if I'm Kentucky, I want to find a way to get him playing right. Just kind of selfishly, right. because I think that he's a talented player him and he'll help. If I am, if, if Shaden Sharp is asking me what my advice would be, I, I always say, you don't have to rush it, man. I don't even know if you need to enroll early. Like I, I don't, I'm kind of always against this idea of, of rushing the process, right? Like you, you can run your race at your own pace. You don't have to get there early. We've seen what happens with a guy like Amani Bates who gets there early and he's not quite ready for it. And all of a sudden, the narrative goes from being, oh, you know, Amani's got a really good prospect that can play in the NBA for a while to being like, uh, Memphis is better without him. Like, it, 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 it's very easy to kind of poison what the narrative is, to po- poison the noise around you as a player. And how often does it actually work, like when guys enroll early and then try to contribute? You know, like, it didn't go great for Hamadou Diallo. When he was at Kentucky, we saw it with Devin Askew. He didn't do great. Derek Thornton, uh, that, that didn't go go well. Christian Lander at, at Indiana. Like how how often does it actually work that you get there early, you play early, and it, it works out better than what it would have if you just ran your race at the normal pace? You know what it does that time, to be quite honest with you? It exposes guys mm-hmm. because all you end up doing is transferring or, or reclassing back into the grade you already in. I mean, let's just call it what it is. No one has ever just, you know, finished high school in three years and been eligible to go to college. So the only way that works is if you were reclass back anyway and then you were old enough to graduate and go back into the class that you were already in. So it's it's I just more so look at it like some guys just get exposed. I mean, you can be a, you can, some guys coming at 17, 18 years old and some guys coming in at 19 or 20. I mean, no one really cares, but it matters from a professional standpoint when you're looking at them or when you're looking at their ceiling. But guys that we say, hey, whether they come in early or not, let's be honest. It just means they reclassed, you know, they reclassed before and now they're coming back into the grade they were already in. Right. There's no there's no pros for him. If he comes in, he's what? He's the number one, number two player in his recruiting class. He comes in and he does what he did in high school, gets buckets. Okay. That's what it is. But on the other hand, like you like you guys mentioned with some of those players the floor all you can all you're doing is hurting yourself you know what i'm saying you're not it's, this it's just the cons outweigh the pros in this situation in my eyes so like you know to quote the great rob dowser run your race i can't believe i just actually quoted him on this show. Yeah, if you get a start with them from the very beginning i'd say you can do it but coming in december trying to do it 
I just think you're too far behind the eight ball trying to catch up with everything going on. That's a difficult thing. Yeah, that's the other part about it. Like, you're walking into a team that's already set. Right. You know, we, we see how difficult it is. How many times have we seen guys try to um, bring in a, a, a transfer that isn't eligible into the middle right. of the season? have difficulty kind of getting them acclimated, right? Is he in shape at the level that you need to be in shape to compete in the SEC? Do you really want this dude in his first game where he's eligible to play college basketball doing what? Like, I'm looking at Kentucky's schedule right now. Uh, January 15th, they got Tennessee. Then they got Auburn. Then they, they got Kansas. Like, you're going to throw him right into the fire. And, well, and it's, I, it's, it's different, I say this, because it's different. Like, go back to Carter Witt last year. Carter Witt came in in December – and then tried to run over Christmas break, and then you throw him in, and his first game was on the road against Virginia. He hadn't lifted weight, barely lifted weights. He's done anything. It's like, wait a minute. Like last year, last week I was playing it against Asheville High School, and now I'm playing against UVA on the road. Or a guy that's transferred has been in your program already, and he just sat out until, you know, December has been as well. At least that guy's been practicing. He's had reps. He's familiar with everything. So the situations are different. But if you're a high school kid trying to transfer it in, you better be one of, you know, like we talked about, it's better be Jabari, it's better be Paulo, it's better be Shaq, or you're, you're in trouble. See, and here's the thing. I think that that Shaden might be like at that level. I don't think that he's quite as good of a prospect as those guys, but I think that he's he's kind of in good. that conversation. Jeff oh, Gooden good. thinks that he's better than Zion Williamson, which is the – the craziest take that I've ever heard from out of anybody. I think the I think the best part of Kentucky winning tomorrow would be the Kentucky fans getting at Goodman because they're gonna let him have it because he's been letting them have it on about their schedule and them not beating anybody. So his mentions will be on fire if Kentucky wins. Well, I mean, he's he's not wrong. Like if you're if you're building an NCAA tournament out of a, a resume at this point, like Kentucky's in, like an eleven seed. They're yeah. probably in the tournament just because they're Kentucky and they create computer numbers. But when your best win is is North Carolina on a neutral, like you you don't you haven't really beaten it. When you're a crazy fan of the team, you 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 say hold the logic. You don't the facts oh. and logic don't really fly. You just you you are what you are. You're about your team. We don't want to hear the facts. All right, so let's let's talk about the SEC kind of as a whole because for my money. I think that this is the best conference at the top, at least the very the, the most competitive at the top, and it's the league race that I am the most excited to see. I think Kentucky's good enough to win the league. I think Auburn's good enough to win the league. I think Alabama's good enough to win the league. I think Tennessee's probably good enough to win the league, and everything we've seen from LSU tells us that they might be good enough to win the league as well. There's five teams there that I think are good enough to win this conference, so tell me who's the best. RC, I'm going to you first. I'm going to Auburn. I think Auburn is, is the best team. I, I I love their guard play, you know, with 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 Katie Johnson and Wendell Green, and and I, and I think Jabari is a matchup nightmare for just about anybody. And now that you got Kessler defending, I mean, playing against that guy at Carolina and seeing what he's doing right now, he's he's made a tremendous leap. I knew his reputation coming in high school. I just didn't see it last year at UNC, and, and to see Kessler defending, I mean, he's averaging nearly four blocks a game right now. They're doing it on the defensive end. We know they're going to score, but we know they're going to defend. I, I think getting Flanagan back, I, I, I think they're the best team right now in the league. Yeah. Carter? Yeah, I'll echo that, too. I mean, I think they were they would be in the running for it before Flanagan even coming back. But with Flanagan coming back, I think this team has what it takes. I mean, you got a top three solidified. You can make an argument for number one pick in Jabari Smith. He's special. I mean, that's just the only way you can put it. He's a special type prospect. And then you got you have the guard play at Wendell Green and then Katie Johnson. There's probably no other player in the country 
that I'd rather like go on the floor and go to war with than KD Johnson. That dude's just a winner, a dog. What's what's what what does TL say about him? He runs on he, he runs on uh nightmare uh, fuel. Yeah, nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, like that's what I didn't know what nightmare fuel was until I watched KD Johnson and I was like, Yeah, you're right, he does run on nightmare fuel. Like, there's, there's never been a player that was more perfectly suited for to playing for Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl than KD Johnson. But look, to me, it's Walker Kessler turning into maybe the best rim protector in college basketball is what has taken this team and turned them from being like really good to being like, okay, Auburn might actually be able to win a national title this year. And I don't think that that's a hot take because the way that they can get out and pressure the way that they can kind of overwhelm you with their athleticism and physicality on the perimeter, uh, doing all that with a guy that's going to erase everything at the bucket makes you a really, really difficult defense to play against. And you combine all of that with the fact that, Katie Johnson can kind of get wherever he wants, whenever he wants to. Wendell Green has shown the ability to go out and hit like three or four straight threes in a row. Alan Flanagan is a stud, is a pro, is going to play in the NBA, was a preseason all-SEC guy. And, oh, by the way, you got a dude by the name of Jabari Smith. Like, that, that is a really, really good team. I, I really like Kentucky. I think that they're uh, – as they grow, they're going to end up being a top-10 team when things are all said and done. Alabama, they are what they are. When they're hitting, they're, they're, they're impossible to play against. LSU, great defensively. I'm not completely bought in, but they're they're better than I thought they were going to end up being. And then, you know, Tennessee just – they play so damn hard and they can kind of wear you down. But that Auburn team, I, I think that they're different. Yeah, they're, they're special. I think the main point of why they're special is because you just named five, four or five guys before you even got to their number one pick. Like, if all else right. fails, if Wendell Green's off, if Katie Johnson's off, if Flanagan's off, Let's throw it to our number one pick who's 6'10", who can score from anywhere on the floor. Like, that's a great strategy. That's a great ace to have in the back pocket. Like, that's a tough team. <laughs> that's going to be the best player, the, the number one pick in the draft. It's like, yeah, you know what? He's our last option. Yeah, just throw, go, get, go get us one. Go get us one, Jabari. And he will. All right. Well, listen, guys, we've, uh, we've been here for an hour. This has been fun. Um, for Randolph Childress, for Carter Elliott, for our producer, Greg Waddell, uh, thank you to Johnny Davis for joining us on the show. My name is Rob Doster. This has been the field of 68 after dark. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.